HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexis Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I'm so excited to be speaking to Mary Heffernan, aka at 5 Mary's Farms on Instagram. Mary and her husband, Brian Heffernan, both have deep agriculture roots and a passion for small town, small business, and family-centered food. Mary, Brian, and their four spunky girls, all named Mary, live in Siskiyou County, where they raise Black Angus cattle, Navajo churro sheep, and Berkshire hogs. Brian and Mary's ranching methods and beliefs help to preserve and protect the land and respect the animals from birth through processing. Mary has started over 20 small businesses in different industries and shares her knowledge with other entrepreneurs through her business courses. Mary released her Ranch Raised Cookbook in September of 2020 and is currently working on her second book, Five Mary's Family Style, which will be released September 2022. Welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Mary. I'm so excited to have you here, and you have so much going on, so I'm very excited to pick your brain about everything it is that you do. Yeah, thanks, Alexa. I'm excited to be here and um, talk a little bit about what we do over here at Five Marys. Yeah, so first, for those who don't know, where is Siskiyou County, and what is kind of the area that you are based so we're at the very farthest point um, at the top of California. We're almost to the Oregon border, and um, the county is called Siskiyou County. Our town is Fort Jones. It's population 631, um, and it is we have more cattle than we do people in this county. <laughs> well, there you go. That's the perfect way to describe it. And how many of those cattle, what percentage of the cattle in the county are yours? Probably a fair amount, or is there a lot of different... No, there's actually there. a, a lot of cattle ranchers up here. Um, it's kind of cattle country, and 
the Cattlewoman's Association up here, uh, their motto is from the top of the state to the top of your plate. From the top of the state to the top of your plate. That's awesome. (laughs) And I just love every time I talk to you, just kind of learning about this way of life because it's so different than a lot of people are familiar with or used to. And it's kind of cool to kind of shed light on this whole lifestyle. So this, you guys moved up there in 2013, correct? Yeah, we, my husband and I were both living in the Bay Area, which is now known as Silicon Valley. It's kind of a hustle and bustle hub of, you know, all things tech. And um, we had small businesses there. I've kind of always been an entrepreneur. Um, my husband was actually a lawyer, a um, corporate lawyer in a big firm and worked in a high rise. Um, and we had our four, four girls there and started working together on businesses. Um, and we opened a restaurant kind of by accident. We wanted to create a place where people could come to, um, you know, enjoy really good quality food and have a really good kids menu without, you know, pizza and chicken fingers um, and beer and wine, but, you know, feel comfortable bringing their kids. My husband and I have always appreciated good food and we wanted to try to bring that to families as a more approachable eating out option. Um, so we built this restaurant thinking that we would kind of outsource the food and do more of a community uh, clubhouse feel. And of course, as it turned out, we, um, you know, with health department laws and the way kitchens work, we had to run it ourselves as a restaurant to make it make sense. And we kind of looked at each other the first day we opened our doors. So, you know, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner in Silicon Valley seven days a week and thought, oh my gosh, what have we done? But um, (laughs) it was... It was a great learning experience for us both, and we kind of both um, really dove into food and producing really great quality um, food for our customers in the same way we would want to feed our family. Um, And with both of us having roots in agriculture, we were looking for a farm or ranch where we could source um, our beef from. We wanted really good quality that was, you know, raised all naturally and checked all the boxes, um, but also really good quality. And we just weren't finding that consistently. You know, a lot of small farms or ranches will just have animals to harvest once a year or not in, in as many animals, or they're not going from the whole process from birth until harvest. We really identified exactly what we wanted in a super premium beef product. Um, we learned a lot about dry aging. We learned about you know what finish program we wanted. Um, it helps that my brother-in-law is a fifth generation cattle rancher. So he gave us a lot of insight into that side of it. Um, and we kind of really became really passionate about wanting to raise these cattle ourselves. And when we couldn't find a small farm that we could kind of partner with to do it with us the way we wanted it done, we just looked at each other and said, you know what, let's do this ourselves. So we bought land up here in Siskiyou County, which was six hours away from where we lived. Um, and we at the time had four little girls in four car seats and we were commuting back and forth um, to set up operations here really still thinking that we would be able to hire a ranch manager to take care of the animals during the week while we went home to our Silicon Valley lives and would spend the weekends here um, growing our ranch. But we very quickly figured out that that just wasn't realistic and we needed to be here all day, every day to be the ones taking care of our animals. So we made a decision to kind of totally switch gears in our life and um, sell our businesses down there, sell our house and move our family up to the ranch full time uh, just a couple months afterwards. 
My goodness. So what was that transition like? I mean, you're describing a very hustle and bustle lifestyle in one of the biggest cities in the U.S. to basically night and day. And I don't know how many of the girls you had had by then or if all of them or how old they were. But what was that transition like for the whole family? You know, it was a huge transition, but it was an act- it was actually a pretty easy transition for us, at least, you know, mentally and emotionally to leave behind this busy life for um, something that we were really passionate about and kind of a, a um, more like back to our roots way of raising our kids. You know, a lot of people say, oh, do you, le-, you know, left the city for a simple life? And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> about this life is simple. Um, my husband says, you know, he solves more problems on a daily basis as a rancher than he did as a lawyer. And, you know, his job was to solve people's problems. Um, so it is anything but easy. Uh, but we find a lot of satisfaction in working our land and caring for our livestock together as a family. You know, we're up at all hours of the day and the night, making sure our animals are well cared for. We do it together as a family. Our girls are now um, between nine and 14, and they're really an integral part of our operation, um, taking care of these animals and uh, kind of pushing forward uh, together on our ranch. Wow, that's amazing. And do they, I know (laughs) I've spoken to you before and you kind of have explained how much the girls kind of love it and are hands-on. Can you explain a little bit about like kind of that lifestyle that is now an integral part of these girls' upbringing, which is not something that I've experienced and I'm I'm sure you didn't experience growing up. So what is that kind of like for them? The age that they were when we moved up was um, kind of fortuitous because our oldest had just finished kindergarten and the youngest was one or two. So they didn't really have a chance to say, oh my gosh, this life is so different. You know, I miss this or that. They just love the, the wide open spaces and being outside. And my husband and I found out pretty quickly that we had to really change the way we parented and we had to expect a lot more from them. So we went from, you know, filling their sippy cups and making sure that they were, you know, getting to preschool and going to birthday parties to being outside in the dark, in the rain, pulling calves and having them help us or having one of them run inside and make dinner for her sisters. And everybody really started um, pitching in to help with, you know, the family chores. The youngest was doing laundry and um, they all kind of took on a different aspect of what they love on the ranch. Um, My oldest Francie is the shepherdess and she, when it's lambing season, which we just started last week, um, she really takes on caring for our flock. We've got 300, these Navajo churro ewes. And during lambing season, um, twins is quite common. So we'll end up with uh, even more baby lambs running around there. And lambs are pretty vulnerable when they're born. So she is on watch. And if we have um, a weak or a sick lamb that's abandoned by its mom, which also happens pretty frequently with twins, um, she'll bring it inside and her sisters will help her. They've learned how to drench, how to doctor, how to administer um, shots or antibiotics if they need to. And they have a whole routine for warming them by the fire and setting them up in our little bottle baby barn by the house. Um, and you know, those are things that take up a lot of time and, and attention to keep these little baby animals alive. And without our girls, um, you know, my husband and I would be having to neglect other parts of the ranch if we were doing that. So they really play an important role in what we do. And I think they're, they're proud of that. And they feel a lot of autonomy, um, knowing that they're an integral part of our operation. Oh my gosh. That's so, that's so, so, so cool. And 
For those who don't know, can you explain the deal with all of them being named Mary and then their <laughs> nicknames? Because I that's like my favorite thing ever. So the, the, the story behind that and then their nicknames, if you don't mind. Yes, of course. So we are the five Marys. Um, my name is Mary. And when we had our first daughter, um, we wanted to give her a family name. And Mary was a very common family name on both sides of our family. We both come from big Irish Catholic families and a lot of strong women named Mary. So our first, um, we named Mary Frances, and she goes by Francie. And then our second was another girl. And we thought, well, we'll have to name her after my side of the family because Francie was named after Brian's side. So um, Mary Marjorie came along and she goes by Maisie. And honestly, <laughs> Brian and I both kind of thought, oh, we'll probably have boys from after this. You know, I, he's one, the oldest of five. I'm the oldest of four. And we both have boys and girls on both sides of the family. So never thought we would have all girls. But once we had our third, we thought, well, we could definitely can't stop this trend now and have Mary Mary and, and Sally. So we um, had Mary Jane and we call her Janie or JJ. And then our fourth, um, we kind of assumed by then it would probably be another girl. And she is Mary Teresa and goes by Tessa. So everybody goes oh. by nicknames, but technically we are uh, all five Marys. That is amazing. And how, like... Is that common in your family to have so many girls, like four girls back to back to back to back? I mean, I'm one of three girls and everybody who I tell that to is like, oh my gosh, your poor dad, that's crazy. But four, how, I guess there's no way to answer that. It just kind of happened, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we're, we, my husband does so well with girls. He's very patient with them and they are all, um, pretty much like hardcore girls that will do anything that anybody else could do. So he really appreciates having girls because he knows that they'll get out there and drive the tractor. Or they all make fun of me because they can drive a tractor better than I can. Um, but they're very capable little girls and they're kind of just their own little pack, which I think is really neat. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. So I think, is there anything else major in the backstory to explain before we touch on kind of your culinary roots and inspiration. I know that it's a lot of stage to set for you as far as I guess, if you don't mind kind of giving, I can always think of something new with you because your story is so interesting. But a little bit of the quick spark notes of what it is that you you all do there for those who don't know what goes into cattle ranching, I guess, how many cows you have and what type of products you produce there and kind of what the whole deal is over at Five Mary's Farms, because it sounds like, you know, it seems like it could be obvious, but at the same time, when I really think about it, I'm like, what does a family do on a cattle ranch? So the quick spark notes there, and then we can get into the more cooking part of things. Yeah, for sure. So um, we raise beef, pork, and lamb at Five Mary's. Um, on the ranch, we also have chickens as egg layers. We have horses. Um, we have livestock guardian dogs. Um, we have roping steers to teach the girls their rodeo skills. So there's a lot of moving pieces on the ranch, but our main focus is raising really great quality beef, pork, and lamb to sell directly to our customers. So when we started ranching um, seven or eight years ago, we knew that a direct-to-consumer model was going to be the only way that we could make this work as first-generation ranchers um, mm -hmm. and not to be stuck in the commodities market selling cattle. And we also were doing this because we believed in raising a really great quality product from start to finish. Um, and we wanted to share that product with people that we knew, um, with customers, just like we'd serve it to our own family. 
So we started um, doing some deliveries and farm stands, but we really realized that that was taking away from our time together on the ranch as a family, which was the whole reason we started doing this in the first place. So um, we looked into a shipping model where we could get our meat directly to customers anywhere in the country um, by putting our meat in packages in a box with dry ice and shipping it overnight to their doorstep. Um, and it's more common now, which is in a, a great thing, but then no one was doing it. And so we really had to navigate this road to shipping our own meat products from our little ranch in our rural town um, to customers. But we powered through knowing that if this was the the life we wanted and the business we wanted to create, that was the only way that it was going to work for us. Um, and now, you know, we're shipping thousands of boxes a week to customers all over the U.S. Um, and the satisfaction of seeing people having that meat served at their family dinner tables and, you know, tagging us and saying, thanks, Five Marys, for all the hard work you've done to get this meat to our plate. Um, and people knowing and really trusting the source, which I think is so important these days. You know, there's a lot of places that you can buy um, produce or meat, but you know, when there's a lot of middlemen, you just don't know where it's from or how it was raised. So Instagram allows us to open up a window into uh, our world and share our day-to-day life with people from, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning to feed cows in the snow to doctoring baby lambs who are sick or, you know, finding a calf in the woods by itself. And the, the, practices that we use to take really good care of our animals. Um, people love to see that and know that, you know, this isn't a show. This is, this is how we do things every day. Um, and I think that's just really neat full circle story that we can share with people and then they can enjoy, um, our, our products. That's awesome. It's so cool. And a really, really cool story. And so, yeah, I mean, for those who haven't checked out, Mary yet over on Instagram at five Mary's farms, they really do kind of give a cool glimpse into a day in the life on the, on the farm and what that's like. And it's very, very cool to watch. So in addition to everything else you've explained and that you have going on, you have now two cookbooks or you're working on the second one. So there's a lot of cooking happening, you know, four hungry girls, a husband, I know you've got a dog and other animals. So there's a lot of cooking happening. So I do want to hear a little bit about your cooking style or your kind of your food inspirations. And I think for everybody that kind of starts with um, kind of your family and your childhood. So what kind of food did you grow up eating? What was kind of your background there? I know you mentioned Irish Catholics. So what is the the background there with kind of your culinary journey? So my mom and my dad were both great cooks. And, you know, a family dinner table was a big deal growing up. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, that isn't always the norm, but we always ate dinner together. And my mom always made sure um, to cook a great meal for us. But it was always simple. And, you know, my from my grandparents, um, my grandfather was the cook in the family. My grandmother never stepped in the kitchen. And he really taught my mom and then his son-in-law when they got married you know, start with good quality ingredients and that's all you need. So they lived in the Pajaro Valley, which is in uh, central California, where he would drive home and stop at his farmer's field and cut a head of lettuce with a pocket knife out of the field and take it (laughs) home to make a salad. So, you know, it was very much like sourcing from places that you, you know, and trust before it was a thing. Um, But starting with good quality ingredients really is our 
what I grew up learning and kind of our motto at Five Marys, you know, when uh, we work so hard to raise this beef with incredible flavor and incredible tenderness that you don't need marinades or, you know, fancy Mm -hmm. ways of cooking it. You need salt, maybe a little pepper and good heat. And when, um, you know, I think people can approach cooking great quality food so much easier when it's not intimidating and they feel like they have to, um, you know, do a lot of pomp and circumstance to come up with a, a great meal. It's the simplicity to us that makes a great meal as well as the company you keep when you gather around the table to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so what were kind of some of your favorite dishes growing up that your parents made? I've always loved lamb because my mom cooked us a ton of lamb. We would have um, lamb chops for dinner pretty often, Ooh. you know, and just very simply with steamed broccoli and a baked potato. But um, most people we've found, especially in the U.S., are just they, they probably had bad lamb at some point in their life. So they're not a fan. Um, and lamb is what good lamb is such a great flavor. So we, uh, my husband just wanted to raise cattle and I really had to talk him into adding um, hogs and sheep to our operation, which very much complicates things, but I think it's <laughs> worth it for um, the, the pork and lamb that we sell. I've converted so many people to be lamb lovers when they've tried our lamb and understood that, you know, it's not something that you just have to cover in mint jelly. It's actually right. um, a very flavorful meat that um, there's so many ways you can cook it. So I think, you know, growing up on lamb was um, something a lot of kids probably wouldn't um, experience, but my mom just cooked it very simply, salt and pepper, and uh, I've always loved it. Yeah, that's that's very, like, elevated palate-wise for a, for a small kid. I feel like lamb is hard for kids to like, even, you know, even me now, if it's not, you know, good lamb, I'm like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure the lamb that you guys have over there is delicious. So and that's funny that you made the mint jelly comment because that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, I bet a lot of people who haven't had good lamb have just had it with mint jelly on it. And we're like, oh, I don't know. This is not that great. So (laughs) that is very, very funny. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheese-making traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheese-making culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheese-making craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. So when did you start cooking? I know you said both of your parents cooked. So were you kind of helping them in the kitchen or when did you kind of start taking on cooking responsibilities? Well, when I um, met Brian, he also loved to cook. And so early in our marriage, he kind of was more of the cook. Um, 
And then when we moved to the ranch, it was like this whole world opened up because I could have a garden and I had all this fresh produce and we had these beautiful meats that we were raising ourselves. Um, and so I really started experimenting more with um, spending time in the kitchen, developing recipes, cooking new meals. Um, I love that time together at night. You know, we all are working so hard during the day outside that coming in to sit by the fire and enjoy a meal at the table together was a really valuable time for us. So um, I definitely started cooking more as soon as we moved to the ranch um, and then started sharing some recipes. You know, we were selling our meats and there's always a lot of ground beef because when you harvest a, a beef, you're going to have half of the meat in ground beef. Um, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, the popular cuts like the tri-tip and the skirt steak, there's only one or two of those. So I really tried to start educating our customers um, that, you know, ground beef is such a uh, versatile meat and it's always delicious. And there's so many things you can do with it more than spaghetti and hamburgers. So uh, I shared a little recipe booklet, just a, you know, paper copy we self-published that had our 15 favorite ground beef recipes and some sides and a dessert. Um, and we would send that with a box full of ground beef to our customers to encourage them to, you know, think outside the box. We had like Korean um, rice bowls with ground beef and a bunch of fun, you know, curry recipes, kind of just different things than you would think of. And from there, that little recipe booklet did so well, we produced five of them with like five Mary's um, favorite family recipes, you know, pork chops and applesauce and just sharing a lot of our favorite recipes. And that led to um, our, my cookbook, Five Mary's Ranch Raised that came out um, September of 2020. Um, and that making a real published cookbook was quite an experience. You know, I'm used yes. to just um, impatiently getting things done quickly. And I realized that cookbooks are a two or three year process that um, involve a lot of steps, a lot of time, a lot of people. But in the end, after two years of work, you know, holding that book in your hand um, is a pretty awesome thing. And it's been a great tool for us to kind of share Five Marys and, and share our favorite recipes um, in a professional, um, official format. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I know I've spoken to many cookbook authors and just know secondhand how crazy and, you know, kind of daunting that experience can be, but then how rewarding it is at the end. So kudos to you for a completing one and then taking it on to do it again with everything else you have going on. And I'm sure, uh, you're kind of deep in the throes of it right now already. I can imagine with it coming out in 2022, huh? Yeah, we're kind of we're at the final stages of editing the second cookbook, um, Five Mary's Family Style. But I'm really excited about this cookbook. It goes through all four seasons and suggests um, whole menu ideas for each season. So each one has about four or five menus um, for things that we do on the ranch, but that you know anybody could do from a Fourth of July Riverside picnic to a branding day barbecue. Uh, and each menu has an appetizer, a side or a salad, um, a main and obviously my recipe books, we focus on um, beef, pork, and lamb mainly because that's what we sell, mm -hmm. um, but also has some really great cocktails. Uh, we're those work hard and play hard people where we're, we love to kick our feet up at the end of the day with a good cocktail. Um, and we also opened uh, a bar and restaurant in town here in Fort Jones. So we love to experiment with um, great cocktails. And we have our, our own Five Mary's bourbon and Five Mary's whiskey that we sell in the shop. We work with a, um, a distillery partner to make our own small batch bourbon. 
So we, this cookbook is kind of a culmination of all of those things. Um, and I think people will really love kind of the menu concept. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, I didn't know about the whiskey and bourbon. I guess there were there was more for me to learn about <laughs> you and what you guys yeah, cuz you didn't have enough going on, so let's let's throw alcohol into the mix. Like why not, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh my goodness. So how would you kind of explain for, you know, the I guess the gist of the culinary style of A, you know, your cookbooks and B, what you cook at home? Would it would you kind of call it, you know, rustic American, or I know you, you know, we did the shepherd slash rancher's pie together. So that's kind of, I assume an, an ode to your Irish Catholic roots. So what are kind of the, the culinary vibes, um, of your cookbook and then what it is that you cook at home for your family? Yeah. I mean, I'd say you're spot on with kind of the, the rustic Americana. Um, that's sort of our, our vibe in general at five Mary's, but I think our, our food is, um, simple, family friendly, but just very American um, or, you know, kind of some outside influence, but with a spin, uh, we try to cook food that the whole family can eat and enjoy. um, And it doesn't take a ton of time or a lot of extra steps or ingredients that you might not have on hand. You know, I love to to stock a pantry and know that I can cook um, just about anything in my repertoire with what's in the pantry without having to go to the store for a special ingredient. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And so what are the, I guess, the favorite foods or favorite dishes that, that your girls love that you that you make? They all kind of have different favorites. Um, pork chops and warm applesauce is an absolute favorite of our, all of the girls. And our, we have these thick cut bone in pork chops that are just amazing. Um, and we have a Five Mary's spice rub that we sell that's a, a pretty simple mix of really good quality salt, um, pepper, rosemary, little red pepper flakes. So just pork chops seared in cast iron um, in butter with a little Five Mary spice rub and um, warm applesauce with cinnamon is probably their favorite. Um, but they also love steak, any kind of steak. My kids will just eat it out of the pan as fast as I can cook it. And um, <laughs> lamb chops are a big favorite as well. Oh my gosh, that all sounds delicious. It's yeah, I'm I'm definitely getting hungry thinking about it. Yeah, that warm applesauce situation with the pork chops, that sounds really good. I can definitely imagine that being a a fan favorite. I actually am a, was raised by a steak lover, so I kind of did the same thing with my dad growing up when he would he would make a steak and cook it like rare, rare, rare. And he would kind of cover it in spices cuz he loves spicy food. So he would cover the steak in spices and I was like 3 you know, wanting a bite of his steak. And so he would, this is kind of gross, but he would like cut off a little piece, like put it in his mouth and like lick off all the spices and then feed it to me like a little bird. Yes. (laughs) I totally get that. Like eating the steak right out of the pan thing. Cause I was doing the same thing to my dad. I loved, I loved his steak still do. Um, but yeah, I always kind of tell people that I'm like, this is kind of gross, but my dad was basically like feeding me like a little bird, like a regurgitating. steak for me. So yum, but (laughs) kids, they all fight over the bones and we'll just like pick at them until they're, they're, the dogs don't even have anything left, (laughs) but I love God, They don't let anything go to waste. Yeah. We love that. It's a sustainable situation. Yes. (laughs) And so the last story I want you to tell that I just remembered that was so cool for me to hear about. So I'm sure other people would want to hear about. Um, I remember you telling me about the you had to get, um, you got dairy cows or something and then they, 
or one of them, oh, you got the dairy cows to take care of the two of the runts of the litter or the twins or something like that. I'm probably butchering this story, but do you know what I'm, do you remember what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. So okay. every year during um, calving season, which we calve in the fall. So September, October, November um, is when our baby calves are born. And um, inevitably you will have what you call bummer calves or bottle baby calves. Um, my husband says cows can only count to one. So when they have twins, they look at them and say, okay, I guess I'm taking you. And we'll oftentimes just abandon the second twin. And so we, um, you know, we check our cattle multiple times a day during calving. So we catch these things, but we'll usually take that abandoned twin in and bottle feed it, um, which is a ton of work. You appreciate these mama cows so much when, um, you know, my girls are getting up in the middle of the night and before school, and then I'll do the lunch shift. And then they're doing after school and nighttime making bottles um, and feeding these calves and they get big very quickly and they get kind of aggressive. And it's just, it's always a challenge. So this year we had this crazy situation where we had five um, twins in the first like week and a half, oh which is God. pretty unheard of. Twins and cattle is um, like two to 5% usually occurrence. So we were just like going out in the field and finding twin after twin. So looking at feeding, bottle feeding five calves, we decided to um, go to a local dairy and buy two of their dairy cows. We got two beautiful Jersey cows um, who were in milk and we put them all in the barn with these four, which turned out to be five pretty quickly, um, bummer calves. And these Jersey cows mothered these calves, took them right away. They have a crazy, huge maternal instinct. Um, and they have a lot of milk. They produce a lot more milk than our black Angus beef cattle do. So these two Jersey cows took on, um, these five bottle babies and fed them, until they're now out all out on pasture and eating hay and alfalfa now, but they just look so healthy and it saved us tons of time and a lot of cost in milk replacer for those baby calves. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love that story. It's so cute. They're like cow foster moms. And like the, I just like, I'm imagining, cause I feel like when you think of, you know, how cows are depicted in you know, cartoons or whatever, I'm just like imagining these very like matronly motherly characters like taking in all the babies and it's so cute (laughs) yeah they really did a great job it was neat to see them just take them um, on as their own and you know be really maternal and it was it's neat to see that in in a species where you can graft on we do it sometimes if we have a mama um, of our our black angus herd that loses a calf we can graft on um one that mama maybe didn't make it or that might be a twin, but this not, not usually two, two and three per cow. So that was pretty neat to see. That's awesome. Well, Mary, I am as always just fascinated by your stories and your explanation of your life and everything that happens over there or way up there. I'm like on the opposite side of the world from you right now, it feels like. So it's very cool to kind of have a slice of your life and learn about what it is that you do over there. So thank you so much for being here and kind of sharing all that. And yeah, I'm sure every every day I look at your page and hear about you, I learned something new. So um, always a pleasure. Yeah, it was great to chat with you. And thanks so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow Mary at 5 Mary's Farms on Instagram as well. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve the what's for dinner question, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram.
See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.